it could be determined that we live in a society which likes living because there's no other way. If we didn't like living, we wouldn't be around. And so our laws, if they are to exist and if we are to continue existing, they will be in that same trend. They'll trend towards living and maybe an increase in health or an increase in the quality of living that we have, which leads to more living, et cetera, et cetera. Or maybe we all collectively just start disliking life. But that doesn't inherently point out to the good doing of your acts. That only points out to the existence of your acts. Yeah. And the existence of your acts don't inherently have a, a good being of them. How? What about the other infinite potential acts that could have been achieved or could have happened but didn't? Are those morally less worthy of considering than, than, than yours? I don't know. So, Alex, we're gathered here today to do another podcast. What's the topic? The relationship between good and evil and how that's deeply ingrained in you as a person mm. or in people in general. So what would make a good person, what would make a bad person? The adhesion to the moral standard that we might consider correct in that moment. Would you say there's just one moral standard or that whatever makes a good person good is their adhesion to their own moral standard? which could be contrary to somebody's, somebody else's moral standard. Well, your moral standard could be based on taking into account other people's moral standard. That's like the, a utility function in a software. The more you do something, the more incentivized you are to do that. That's your objective. Just maximize the number of goals you achieve in this game. They are artificial intelligence that plays football, let's say. Mm. That's the only thing that, that you're trying to do. So something similar happens in your moral standard. The more you do the thing that's good, the more you are incentivized or the more you feel like you are being fulfilled because your moral standard is the thing leading your incentives. And that thing, I guess, could be respecting other people or other people's standards. That's like the moral relativistic view that says that every point of view could be respectable, but... I don't necessarily agree with that. You cannot respect ir irrespective people. Mm. You can't respect non-respectable people or other people who don't respect? Yeah. It, that's, that's If somebody's disrespecting you, you can't respect them. Yeah. You probably can respect them while they're disrespecting you. It's just not easy. Oh, maybe it's not about respecting. It's about tolerating. You cannot tolerate mm. intolerance. Yeah, mm. you could totally tolerate intolerance. I think that our society does it a lot say somebody's intolerant of somebody's skin or something like that, like a racist, you know, our society tolerates them and they're not just going to get rid of them, kick them out of the country. We partially tolerate. There's an ostracization that goes on there, you know, like those people are ostracized from the sane group of people who knows that one should not be intolerant of another person's skin, but they are tolerated. They're not just kicked out. Marginally. They are they're, not, they're marginally tolerated, yeah. They're not openly tolerated and in the most, in the biggest possible way. If they are spreading hate speech, then that can't be tolerated, essentially. Although it is, I think that it is, because not all the time are they uh, people who spread hate speech, like put in jail or something like that. It depends on which country you're in, of course. I think that a lot of the times we do end up tolerating an intolerance. Let's take the racism matter and switch it actually a little bit. Let's say that 
there are a group of people who hate LGBTQ plus people. And LGBTQ plus people are very tolerant of other LGBTQ plus people. Not all of them are, but you know, most of them are. Those are the most brutal between their own community. Yeah, yeah. But then the people who aren't LGBTQ plus and they are actually actively intolerant to them, I think that they do actually have a place within society, or at least that's what we see. You know, they aren't, they haven't been just kicked out. You know, they are actually, there are very big groups of them, usually religious, and they are tolerated within society. It's not a wanted outcome. Obviously, we want everybody to be able to tolerate, you know, everybody else's views, but people are intolerant for some other people and they are still tolerated. But it is not sustainable to tolerate an intolerant. Live and let live forces you to be armed against someone that wants to use his arms against you. Mm. It's like the phrase that we have a, a big will for peace, but we are prepared for war. You have to be prepared for war in order to maximize the odds of peace. Mm. So if you are not prepared for war or for responding violently to someone who's not tolerant with your ideas, you will be forced to do the other people's ideas or to do whatever the other people would like you to do. Mm. So live and let live requires you to be armed or to have a credible promise of being armed or not tolerating them. Mm. I guess I guess we have to define what tolerance and intolerance would mean because these people, I'm thinking of you know certain religious groups in the US that are intolerant towards LGBTQ plus persons. They aren't so intolerant as to, you know, go out and just start killing them, yeah. you know? So they, there is a certain level of tolerance there. I think that actually probably for them to be able to stay within society, they have to tolerate a little bit. Just like LTP, LGBTQ plus have to do it the other way around. You have to tolerate the people who are intolerant for them or who just don't like it. So I guess it depends on what we mean by tolerant and intolerant. It would, in an intolerant person, be someone who cannot just be in the same room, doesn't want to look at these people, doesn't want to look at these things or these actions, but they go actively go out on crusades and try to remove them from the face of the earth. Is that Would that be intolerant? Like, How would you define tolerance and intolerance? I think there's a spectrum there. And, and the one side it would be the most parsimonious existence possible in which you coexist with the other people and you are perfectly aligned with them, like if they were from your family. And in the other side, the most imminent and in instantaneous annihilation of the other collective that would be what i can think of the two polar opposite sides so whatever is in between has a taint of tolerance and of intolerance mm. we are neither in one side or the other i'm not 100 tolerant towards you so i'm I have some kind of intolerance towards you thanks <laughs> i don't feel you as if you were part of me mm. as neither someone of my family that's not the, the extreme the extreme would be just to be part of my brain and mm. just uh, an homogeneous piece of perfectly functioning an harmonious entity mm -hmm. that's the the most extreme thing i could think of and in the other side the most instantaneous annihilation of that collective mm. so as you move in that spectrum you become more or less of the thing that you're measuring either tolerance or intolerance mm. so how this relate to good and bad people would you say that a good person is 100 tolerant i'm not sure about what should be the, the ultimate moral standard and what and what should make meaning appear in your life I, i'm not sure about that but i think that the philosophy that has the most odds of being successful or 
correct is the live and let live uh, philosophy. Um, in economically uh, libertarian leaning, I like the reduction of the intervention of the government, and the same thing applies individually. If I'm homosexual, I don't want people to consider my sexual orientation as something relevant. It's just the, something I, I am, and I, I live by, by this. Mm-hmm. The same way as if I was uh, heterosexual. That's not something that other people should mind about. Mm-hmm. Maybe I want them to mind about, but it's a complex topic. I, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily like the other people to invest too much time in thinking of my orientation or dedicating resources to stopping my doing of that thing that doesn't affect you. Mm-hmm. If I'm affecting you, you will be legitimized to stop me doing that. But I'm not affecting you by being homosexual, so just not, don't care about that. Mm. That, that would be what I will consider to be tolerant. The permitting other people to do something that's not affecting you. If it is affecting you in a positive way, you can just leave it there or compensate for the benefit that you are deriving or just stop it so you are not in a in a net, net positive relationship with the other person. Or if it is negative, you could press your bad being with the situation and you are not satisfied by it and you want to change it so you want the other person to stop the interaction let's say you have someone in 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 the room next to you playing music super loudly he might enjoy it but you don't and Mm. those the two objectives i want to be peacefully in my room reading a book and the other person wants to listen to rock music the loudest possible way those two are not compatible how are we going to deal with, with that if i'm tolerant with him he will not be tolerant with me. And if he's tolerant with me, I, I'm still being tolerant with him. Him being tolerant with my objective it still le- gives him an option of listening to rock music with headphones. I'm, I'm not capriciously imposing to him norms. Mm-hmm. I'm, my norms have a, have a meaning, have a reason behind. It is not just because I feel like you shouldn't be listening to this. It is because... He, the fact of you doing that in that specific way damages me. Mm. It's in this sense, it almost comes down to considerateness. Like they actually consider your wants and desires in relation to their own. I think that that's probably a good definition of, of what it means to be considerate. Whereas if you just listen to rock music as loud as it could possibly go, and he knows at the same time that your wants and desires are is to have silence so you can read a book. And that's being aggressively inconsiderate on his part, because he's not considering what your desires are in relation to his, to his own. He's just considering his own desires and wants, etc. So I think that there's definitely a heavy component of considerateness and inconsiderateness in regard to what makes a good person a bad person, considering other people's wants and desires. How would you tie considerateness into tolerance? How do you think those two relate? I think th- those are related if you do a sufficiently imprecise analysis but if you go close enough to the details and you want to increase the resolution and you focus in not just how you are considering the other person to be worthy of of doing the thing that he's doing but also the nature of the thing that he's doing he's playing music so maybe the playing of the music has a long-term consequence to the well-being of the building because he's changing his mind i don't know there could be a lot of third order or second order effects that you are you could be considering in order to consider your tolerance of the other person to be correct or incorrect i don't know how how deep or how precise you should be but 
if you are considerate with the other person, just with the, with the first order effects, which are the, the ones that we are all aware of, the music is bad for the person who's, who reads and the person who reads, it doesn't affect the person who, who plays music or who plays music super loudly. So if, if one is not affecting the other one, but the second one is affecting the first one, I would consider the second one to be the one who should be altering his behavior, not the first one. So the first one is being considered in the sense of permitting the second one, not avoiding the second one from doing the things that he wants, but it is the second one actively interfering with the capacity of the first one to do the things he wants to do. The first one limits how the second one can do things because mm. it is not compatible. Because you, by doing the thing that you would be wanting to do, would limit my capacity to do the thing that I want to do. But I'm not sure about how how much we should be incentivizing the reading or the listening to loud music. Maybe listening to loud music is not efficient for society in the long term, so we should be incentivizing people to be silent and read books. So maybe we should put a tax on loud music and a subsidy to reading books. I don't know. I I think that's that's correct, but I don't know how to implement it in a way that wouldn't creep society. So I, I wouldn't have the balls to, to say anything in relationship to this. I, I'm just trying to think of, if you are considerate, you can be considered just with the first layer of complexity or the second or third one. And I'm not sure about when you should stop. Into which layer should you do the analysis? Until the point in which your cognitive capacity ends, you cannot process an infinite, infinite amount of layers. So mm-hmm. you, could, you, you will probably stop by the third or fourth or whatever the number is. So that point is the one that should be respected. That's an arbitrary number. What if you were born with an IQ of 2,000? That, that's never been the case. No one is, has an IQ of 2,000. But if you were, you would be able to compute more. So that limit, that natural limit, is random. Is randomness ethical? Well, <clears throat> can you put it into example, like a third, fourth order complexity in regard to... Um, considerateness of one individual to another. Can you just give me an example of that? The first layer of effects would be me reading the book is compatible with you listening music with headphones, not with speakers. Mm. So I will ask you to listen to the music but with the headphones. But the second layer of complexity would look at the more of of the long term. What consequences could derive from it in the second order in the one when things have affected the environment? It's not just the direct effect of the thing happening versus your consciousness. It is also the effect of that thing happening with the environment and the environment affected by that thing affecting you. So let's say that that guy listening to rock music attracted a lot of people in the street who liked also rock music. So now a lot of your neighborhood is is full of, of people who love rock music. So that second order of consequences might not be tolerable but the first one might be because the insulation of your bedroom is quite good so you can tolerate the music and it's not that bad so mm-hmm. you are like okay it's just fine i will deal with the slightly loud music i'm fine with that but what if this second layer of complexity leads to something that is not sustainable with your objective how much of your objective should be not permitted in order to that thing that is not permitting it to be considered bad mm, like and, a, a nuisance and why is your objective worthy of being perse- preserved how how would you define an uh, worthy of being preserved objective is this podcast being recorded a worthy thing to be preserved what if someone tried to just 
explode bombs just at the outside of my house right now, mm. randomly without hurting anyone, just to to do the noise. I mean, from like the libertarian point of view, like you were just like you were just saying, it would be basically anything that infringes upon what everybody else wants to do. Obviously, to a certain extent. I mean, if your goal is to just explode bombs, I think that would probably affect a lot of people. <laughs> Unless you're doing that out of the middle of nowhere and you're affecting nobody, you're hurting nothing and you're doing very, very minimal damage to the earth, you know, or to nature or wherever you're, wherever you're exploding bombs. It's not a highly likely thing to happen where you're doing little damage to anybody and nothing, just exploding bombs. So it's, I think that in and of itself is probably, it's not a, it's not a very acceptable thing to do. It's not like even with, within any, any situation. That's like the, the saying that if a log non-perceived by any conscious entity falls in the middle of a forest, does that actually happen? Does it actually make a sound? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then with the case of the loud like rock music, it's it would be at the point where, say, one person's reading a book. That person is not harming anybody or, or getting in the way of anybody else's desire to do whatever else they want. And say this other person is listening to rock music. At a certain point, the rock music is going to become so loud that it's going to infringe upon the person reading a book. So that they'll no longer be able to do what they want because of what somebody else is doing. That seems to be a very good example of inconsiderateness or when they just cross the line. At a certain point, whatever they're doing is infringing upon what it is possible for the other person to do. In other words, it's infringing upon their freedom to do what they want or just their freedom in general. Say you just love walking around and putting people in chains, you know, just like tying hands and feet up for some reasons. You're just a weird guy. You like doing that, you know, and it's not sustainable because you wouldn't be able to live within a population with somebody who just loves tying people up and is really good at it and just does it all the time because he, that person would be infringing upon tons of people's freedom, like in a quite a literal sense. I think the same would be in regard to this rock scenario where Obviously, the freedom of the person reading the book is not entirely limited. They're not in shackles. You know, they're not tied up like this, like the other galaxies do. But their freedom to do this one thing is limited greatly by this other person doing this other thing. Which this other person, I think this is where it comes down to. Can this other person do this one thing without infringing upon the freedom of the other people around them? Can the person just turn down the music a little bit? Surely. Can they wear headphones? Definitely. Then they should do so. And that, that's, I think, where it falls down to, essentially. But then going back to the original question of good and bad person, how would you tie that, how would you tie that together? Where, where would the good and bad person be? Would the person infringing upon other people be a bad person? In what sense would that actually make them a bad person? In the moment in which you could actually be doing something that would satisfy your needs in the same way, but you are unnecessarily hurting other people's objectives. Because we're assuming everyone's will to be equal in relevance, moral relevance. Your will to read is not more important or less than my will to listen to loud rock music. So we're parting from an equal position. And parting from that equal position, what's the thing that maximizes the objective fulfillment of everyone? This is like the utilitarian philosophy. You want to do the one thing, you want to do the other thing. Let's maximize the things that want to be achieved without a priori criteria. The only criteria we have is the, the maximum fulfillment of the will of however arbitrarily big amount of people we have. But that 
subject to perverse incentives. What if I had some headphones to cover my ears with active noise cancellation that would allow me to not hear your loud music? So you would still be able to read the book while I'm playing the, the super loud music. Would you be incentivized to let me know that you have those active noise cancelling headphones? You might not, just so you, you are satisfied by me having to deal with the coexisting norms that we have established in our society. So there's more layers of complexity, and the more you analyze, you detect that in each one of them, there's perverse incentives. You can trick the system. Something similar happens with companies and in accounting. You say, what's the thing that's the most relevant? Revenues. Okay, we only care about revenues. Not profits, not anything, just revenues. If you want to maximize that, take a lot of debt. Buy things, sell them at the same price that you bought them. Because you are, that's the way to maximize revenues without actually having any profits or mm. cash flow. So you can maximize one of the standards without actually improving your general fitness and we cannot define what general fitness is so you will always be capable of asking for the other person to lower his music even if you had a capacity to deal with that and maximize your objective and simultaneously so how do you deal with that if the other person is one step further than you in the complexity you are not aware of what he's doing he might not have the headphone thing but he might i don't know have something a technology that allows him to be conscious of the noise but simultaneously be capable of reading. He coexists with the noise. So he's not really incapable of reading due to the listening to of the music. There's an infinite amount of layers of, com- of complexity that we, that we could talk about. But mm. if you use this kind of accounting trick in the example of the company that, that I gave, then you can, you can certainly do it in any example to have a perverse incentive. You are not maximizing the utilitarian philosophy. So how do you deal with that? With I guess that with trial and error. You just have to try, fail, try, it works. Okay, let's keep doing that. It seems like it worked. More people were happier within when we did this than when we did the other thing. So let's keep imposing the norms that seem to be correct. And that's what the Western laws are, basically. The, well, not Western, but the general laws in all the countries, they are the trial and error of what works more and what works less Mm -hmm. is eliminated. It's not 100% flexible, so they don't perfectly adapt to new information, Mm -hmm. but they generally do in a a way. Mm. I'm struggling to see how you tie this into what what makes a good person, what makes a bad person. You can be perceived as a good person with the standard that you said, because... In order to have the standard, you have to say it in in a phrase. And that phrase can always be modified or misinterpreted from the meaning that you tried to put into the words that you were expelling through your mouth. So whenever the, the other person is misinterpreting the phrase that you said for the meaning of the moral standard that you wanted to be imposed into society or the moral standard that you consider to be correct because your phrase was ambiguous, because there's no way of doing something that is, it is not, what are you going to do? Are you going to add more information whenever it misinterpreted? That's not viable. It will always be possible to misinterpret something. We have to finish the debate when we take the long-hanging fruit. If you listen music super loud, that's obviously bad for the coexisting of people. Mm. So let's just put a general rule. People are not allowed to 
listen to loud music. But people are allowed to read books in their houses if they want to. If they don't want to, that's fine. Mm. But we're not going to force one way or the other. But we cannot permit loud music because that's generally not permissive to other things. That's like a general, that's like a rule of thumb. It's not precise. It's ambiguous. But it's what we, th- we have. Can you think of a way of articulating a moral standard in a precise enough way that there's no way that it could be misinterpreted? Be very, very difficult. <laughs> I mean, you could use very, very specific words. I mean, this is what philosophy is essentially. You know, it's trying to make things as specific and concise as possible. You have to be economical with your language, and you have to make a solid argument for one certain thing. So, say there's one moral standard of loud music. I'm sure there's some way to where you can make an argument that loud music at a certain point is bad, but I think it'd be very difficult to do that because you would also have to consider how people respond differently to different music and how people people's ears are tuned differently. If you just say that music is bad once it reaches it, which is a certain amount of decibels, then you have to consider that not everybody's ears are the same. Not everybody can hear listen to the same listen to the same. So. I think this is, it changes when you're making laws because you have to consider very, very, very many different possibilities. But I'm not sure this touches too much upon what it means to be a good or a bad person, just because if we're talking about laws, that's one thing. If we're talking about considerateness or what person one person's doing to the people around them, that's another thing. Say they're listening to really loud music. And their neighbor told them, hey, can you turn it down? It's too loud. You're, you know, I can't, I can't read my book. Then the person would either ha- have to decide to keep it the same. Maybe they could turn it up. Or maybe they would turn it down. It depends on the, re- the reaction, the response. But then when you take it into law, it's quite a different si- situation entirely. It's dealing with how do you set a moral standard across an entire society as to what's good and what's bad. If, say, you say a word like a classic California word or like, you know, a classic California filler word, essentially. Well, not just California. It's, it's a, lot of other, a lot of other places say those two words way too much. And I say those two words way too much. But if, say there's one person that really hates those words, every single time you say like, they just, they cringe, they can't take it. They can't take it for anybody. So their standard for tolerance in regard to one thing is very very low they can't handle those they can't handle the word like so if you are friends with that person and you're always spending time with that person i think that what would make that you a good or bad person is how you respond to how your friend reacts to those words so probably you say them less because you really care about what they think but if you take it into law it's totally different because that they would be an exception they'd be a one one person that doesn't like those words They'd be the minority, you know, essentially. And law definitely has a place in this, 100%. But I think we're asking two different questions here. We're trying to come down to two different types of answers, both at the individual level and the societal level. And so, again, they're two great questions, two necessary questions. But does the goodness or badness of a person only be determined in the context of a, of a society or can it be determined within the context of their own nuclear friends and family. I don't know. I, I guess that you could go to the individual and consider whatever you consider as instinctively good or bad. You don't want babies to be killed. You want babies to be taken care of and to be raised in proper ways, to be fed and be, to be raised with care and love. That's our instinctive standard of 
saying things should be done in the thing that in the way that we feel like doing. Do do you know the misalignment problem in artificial intelligence? No. It's basically the thought of an incapacity to posit to super artificial general intelligence the moral standard that we intuitively have. You and I mostly share our moral standard. If we say, if we see an old lady crossing the crossroads in the street, we would both agree in that if someone else helps her, that person would be good and not bad. Where does that come from? Are we contextualizing the opportunity cost of that person? What if that person was about to save a thousand babies from getting burned in a... Would that be a moral thing to do, to help the old lady cross the crossroad? We have to take into account more things. Mm. This is like the, the butterfly in the Amazon causing a hurricane in Chicago. It could cause it, but we don't know the cause and effect of things. Mm. We are ignorant. We don't know how the millions of particles in the universe affect each other. It's too complex. We just see the first layer of complexity and sometimes the second one or the third one. And we, we suddenly react to that, yeah. And we suddenly see the effects of the seventeenth and we are like, Oh wow, that was so unexpected. Obviously, it is unexpected because there's like sixty layers that you are not aware of, and there's a thousand other more that you are not aware of either. So how are you going to expect to do things that are predictable in your life if you're not aware of a potentially infinite amount of layers of complexity? Mm. That's that, It's okay. And the intuition that we have of moral standard in artificial intelligence, the misalignment problem, that we are, it is hard to build the artificial intelligence. I'm not saying that it will be built in the near future. I'm just saying in case we do it, what's the moral standard that we should put into it before it develops enough intelligence? Should it be something that it naturally emerges? all the intelligent beings lead to a common moral standard that reflects reality in a way that will make everyone be parsimoniously cohesive in a coexisting universe. That's not true. There's many super intelligent psychopaths. Are those compatible with the existence of other people in society? Sometimes not. So what are you going to do there? We have a preference to maximize the odds of that artificial intelligence to be aligned with our values. So if we are not even able to program our moral standard, the fact that you and I share the same moral standard mostly is just due to our common genetics. If those were different or if we, or we had a relatively similar racing, we would have a completely different moral standard. So I think it is highly related to this problem that in the same way that we are not capable of putting into into code the moral standard that should be followed and in which situations. Because it, it is not just the old lady should be treated well. Or what, okay, you, sh- you have to define well and you have to define lady and you have to define old and you have to define treat. You have to define everything. And when you are defining that, you have to define every single word that you use to define it. It's impossible. I don't know how we would be able to articulate our moral standard. So I'm not... Maybe I'm going in the same way and you weren't really wanted to know this, but and you just wanted to to say what is the thing that would be correct in, in a situation in which you intuitively think it is correct and not just tell me what you know about how our intuitive morality is not aligned with our capacity to articulate it. So am I giving a good response there? or I think so. I mean, definitely taking it a very different direction. Because <laughs> I think what I was touching upon a little bit earlier is within certain scenarios, what would make a good person good would make a person bad. 
I've got no idea. Yeah, I mean, it's a horribly complex question. But I think that if one can look towards certain things that would be indicators of maybe goodness or badness. And I get what you're saying about how if you abstract it thousands, infinite number of times, if you abstract it all the way to the very beginning, you know, one could see that we are determined in certain ways. We're determined to do and think, etc., in certain ways. And so if you understand the entire history of a person and all the things that influences them, then of course they'll make the decision that they made, whether you see it as a good or a bad decision. But that thought is non-conclusive. Whether free will exists or not, your action shouldn't change. If you were predetermined to kill that baby, let's say, me thinking of you being predetermined to kill that baby, I'm also predetermined to think of that. Yeah. So I'm not in a different layer. I yeah, mean, yeah, I, I know, I know. I'm not, not saying it's a different layer. I'm just saying that if the person was predetermined to kill that baby, then if they didn't have agency, because I think that it ultimately comes down to agency, whether somebody's good or bad in doing something. If somebody killed that baby, yet they had absolutely no agency to do so, like they, were, they necessarily had to kill the baby and they necessarily had to like killing the baby, then how can we blame them? If there was no way that they could have done anything else then, and they had to do it. Okay, what if I blamed him? Would you consider my blaming him bad? If we're going off the, the fact that you also necessarily had to blame him because he necessarily had to do that. No, no I knew your point. Mm. He's predetermined. I shouldn't be blaming him. And I still blame him. I don't care about your point. I understand it. I agree with it. But I still want to feel the suffering in the other person. Would I be doing something bad? You are only pointing out to moral nihilism with this. One could definitely do that. One could still definitely blame somebody who's done something bad, who was who predetermined to do that, who is, who is everything conspired to make them necessarily want to do that. You could still blame them. And honestly, they still don't have a place within society because they're doing something that's, that's not good. But saying about whether the action is good or bad, saying that things could have been done a different way when, maybe, when they actually couldn't have, one could do something necessarily and still be put in jail for it. That's just kind of my own intuition on the matter. Because if they don't fit within society and they're doing horrible, evil things that are hurting a lot of people, even though they were necessarily, they necessarily had to do those things, they couldn't have done anything else. Then I think it's still all right to blame them, still all right to put them in a, in a jail and keep them out of society because they they can't do these things whilst living within a society, regardless if they are necessarily doing them or not. You see what I mean? Hmm. So yeah, I think that you could blame them totally. You could do whatever you want to them, but as to whether or not what you're doing is good or bad or justified. It'd be under the same argument of you necessarily blamed them for what they necessarily did. So you can't impose a value on what your blaming means when you still can't impose value on what their killing the baby was. That's neither positive nor negative in, in both instances. But you're neither. The analysis that you're doing is also necessary. You're necessarily analyzing the, the guy doing something necessary and the other one blaming Yeah, him. I mean, exactly. But that that's the point, though, is that Regardless of what you do, if it's necessary, you can't ascribe a, a positive or negative thing on it. It's, it's whether or not do they fit within a society, and, and this is the only society that exists, say, it's necessary that this, that this society exists, and it, it's necessary that it exists in a certain way, then he necessarily did something, and you necessarily blamed him. You can't 
ascribe a positive or negative value on any of it. Say there was a different society. Say the society was built upon people enjoying murder. If I use this example in the past, and I don't know why it's always so grim, our examples, but they're just, they're easy examples to use, I think. Yeah. But say the society necessarily exists that a society enjoys murder, which is contradictory because that society just wouldn't be able to survive because everybody would just be murdering everybody. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't be able to survive. But let's just say it does. As a society exists and they love murdering, then somebody who doesn't like murdering, they wouldn't fit within that society. Just like the person who loves murdering doesn't fit within the society who doesn't like murdering. It's in the same way. But you still can't ascribe a good or a bad value onto those things if they necessarily happen. But is that conclusive? Can you derive any practical actions from your from the conclusion you you gave here? I mean, that's a, that's a whole different question entirely practicality in regard to you know a belief system where everything is necessarily determined because even if you believe that everything's determined you still have to make actions in a certain way one of the better arguments for free will is just that we feel it we do it we have to make decisions but yet it doesn't necessarily well not necessarily it doesn't really matter that much because you could do things, you can make decisions, and you're never going to be able to see all the entire, like the entirety of all the influences upon you when you make a decision. But yet you still make a decision. And then you look back and see that you were actually determined to make that decision. But in the process of making a decision, regardless of whatever you believe, if you have free will or, deter, or you're determined, you'll never be able to see all the influences upon you. So you'll make a decision regardless. And then once you look back on it, then you'll be able to see, all right, I was determined to make the decision by this, this, and this. I think that in the same way that we cannot prove that this is a simulation, it might be, I don't know, but I'm not, as I'm not able to prove it, we prove it one way or the other, it is inconclusive. Free will, okay, it might not exist, I'm 100% with you. I don't think free will can exist when you consider the absolute existence of atoms in the universe and their relationship. I don't know how you could compute that apart from the universe so you could avoid affecting it, so you could predict it. It is not possible mm -hmm. to do that by, by definition because if you are part of the universe, you cannot compute it without mm -hmm. affecting it. Well, never mind. So the thing is that it is not conclusive. It's an interesting thought, but there's no way it could change your actions. And, it, and if it is not practically going to affect reality, what worth is in it? What do you mean? Is it valuable at all is that thought what, what, what is valuable the the thought the belief in determinism or yeah. everything's determined for example why is that valuable at all i mean it might not be i don't know because if you have to make decision and you believe everything's determined how do you make a decision based off of the belief that everything is determined because you still have to make decisions you can't just be like all right i necessarily have to make a decision it's it's once you make the decision that it's it's necessarily going to happen so But you don't, not every belief needs to be entirely 100% practical. You know, you could believe that, that atoms make up everything and still has no import on, on your life whatsoever. It doesn't matter to you at all, actually. Same with molecules, same with blood running through your body until you've lost enough of it. It doesn't, matter, it doesn't really matter to you whether or not you believe it or not. It's the same thing with determinism or and free will. You're still going to be doing things based off of these beliefs. It doesn't have to have some sort of practical import to your life. I wasn't implying that my thoughts were relevant in a way. My thoughts are mostly irrelevant and not applicable to life. So I was just trying to see if you were capable of 
thinking of it as being practical because I was thinking of it as not being practical, but, mm. but you, are, you agree with me that it is not practical. Yeah, if you live from moment to moment thinking everything's determined and it's like it just consumes you, then I think you still can make decisions based off of that belief. So I don't think it matters whether you believe it or not. I don't think it matters like as to whether or not it's practical and you can live your life whilst believing it, totally. It doesn't seem to have much import. So if it is not applicable to real life, the thought that you were implying that there's not actual moral standard that should be followed due to determinism because that person killing the baby was determined is neutralized. Well, I think that they, they, you still could have a moral standard that should be followed within society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like, but then even even the thoughts that produced that moral standard weren't determined. They weren't necessarily determined. But maybe they were determined for a reason. Maybe they were determined because they're actually, they're creating a more survivable society or something like that like uh, like go go back to the example with the society that loves murdering they wouldn't be able to exist and they don't exist because they like murdering you see what i mean and Mm -hmm. so we exist because we don't like murdering we exist because we enjoy living or just something to that effect we tolerate living etc etc ideally enjoy living but i mean you know it depends on the person so yeah it could be determined that we live in a society which likes living because there's no other way. If we didn't like living, we wouldn't be around. And so our laws, if they are to exist and if we are to continue existing, they will be in that same trend. They'll trend towards living and maybe an increase in health or an increase in the quality of living that we have, which leads to more living, et cetera, et cetera. Or maybe we all collectively just start disliking life but that doesn't inherently point out to the good doing of your acts that only points out to the existence of your acts yeah and the existence of your acts don't inherently have a a good being of them how what about the other infinite potential acts that could have been achieved or could have happened but didn't are those morally less worthy of considering than that than yours i don't know yeah, I mean, that brings into it a whole different, it's a difficult dimension to, to bring into it, morality, when you're talking about determinism. Because with determinism, I think that most things are neither positive nor negative. It's more or less just indifferent. But it's so tough because it's where do you separate the two? At what point can you change yourself to be a good or a bad person if everything is entirely determined? Because one could say that you could read something, you could interact with people, you could do something to where those influences that are new to you and those influences, say the new conversation you have with somebody or the new book that you read, those new influences upon you would necessitate a change in character. So you actually become what is vulgarly, you know, perceived as a good person from the outside. But if you don't have any agency to actually change those things or to go out and to talk to those people and to read those books, then can you be predisposed to go out and do those originally? Is it all just entirely futile to go out and try to become better people in a vulgar sense? No, Um, it is not futile. Because the same thing that is considering that to be futile is also futile itself. So it would make itself neutral and not make the other things futile. So you can make a self-fulfilling prophecy that if you want to become a millionaire 
And if you want to be wealthy, or if you want to get fit, or if you want to do something, if that thought randomly pops out in your brain, I don't know what could, but there's a possibility to follow that thought and become that thing. There's nothing inherently blocking you in the nature of reality. There's not physical limits. The laws of physics are not going to be violated when you become a millionaire. That's certainly not going to happen. You don't have to go faster than the speed of light in order to become a millionaire. So you can become a millionaire. You only need to either think of it in a way that will increase the odds of you getting fit or getting to become a millionaire or just randomly happen to, to, to be that. Yeah, but even the thinking of it would be determined in a certain sense as well. Mm-hmm. And so if we take it down to a certain level, then those people who are good, air quotes, and those people who are bad, air quotes, are entirely determined because it's nothing that's actually based off their agency. But then at a certain point, we do feel like there is agency in people, when people make actions. And so from another side, we do feel like that if this person murdered somebody, they could have not murdered that person. They could have chosen to do something differently. But you're responding to yourself by, by positing the question. When you are talking, you are rewarded by your neural connections because they detect that you are doing something that's worthy of being done. And you're considering the other things to maybe not be worthy of being done because they are neutral, because they are predetermined. But at the same time that you are doing that meta-analysis, you are feeling the worthiness of living in yourself. So you are absorbed by it. Mm. You are being absorbed by the, by the meta-analysis. And so you are feeling the worthiness of doing the analysis. If it wasn't worthy of being done, you wouldn't do it. So it is precisely because you feel like it is worth it that you are doing it. And you might be able to pause it to a different layer of complexity to be worthless. But you are still considering something in the existence of the universe to be worthy of being done. So mm. you, by saying that there's something not worthy of being done, you are contradicting yourself because you cannot not you Mm -hmm. i'm just saying that that thought is contradictory you cannot say everything is meaningless while saying that you cannot posit that everything is meaningless because you 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 wouldn't really say it yeah i mean trying to think about where to even go from here though because so of course yeah you could say that everything's meaningless but then you're still alive you're still living there's still some for some reason you're actually still going there's still some sort of meaning into that or and you actually find it worth it to do exactly what you said. To, One thought too many. Yeah, you you find it worth it to say that everything's meaningless. Or you find it worth it to think about how everything is meaningless. So there actually is, you found some meaning in the process of saying that everything's meaningless. Depends on what you mean by meaning here, I guess. Because could you find really meaning in just the thinking about meaninglessness? But it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really pertain to what we're discussing currently. No, it, it deeply does. I think that meaning is derived from an active engaging with the thing that you are doing and that's the only meaning in life the process of doing something and, and the intuitive feeling of that that's it that's life that's the only meaning in life just do things feel good by doing it and that, that's it there's nothing else everything yeah, else is bullshit but how does i mean i get that how does this so I, I agree with you that the meaning is derived from the things that we're doing because it somehow has some worth to us. It gives us some sort of enjoyment thinking about certain things or doing certain things and etc etc but how does that have import as to what it means to be a good or bad person? Just to bring it back to the original question again. In that if you intuitively feel like something should be done, that's good. If you intuitively feel like something shouldn't be done, that's bad. That's it. That's Anything. Yeah, that's the only thing I could base my root instinct in. If I feel like 
forcing someone in the, randomly in the street to have sex with me is the thing that I want to do because I'm biologically predetermined to do that. I would rationally consider that to be negative, but I would ha- find trouble really deeply reasoning against it. Why is it that that person shouldn't be doing that? Okay, it's not compatible with the society, but that's what he intuitively feels like doing. So maybe intuition is not the thing that sh- we should be using to reign society. So what should it be? A second layer of complexity of intuition? Not just intuition, but the thing that in- people intuited that intuition should be will be negative in, in the context of uh, people forcing other people to have sex with. So they we impose people to not do that. Mm. That's another intuition, a second intuition. It's just layers upon layers of complexity. It's first off value s- stepping on somebody's toe. I love doing that. You know, it's like, I just, I don't actually, but I love just say, I love stepping on people's toes. I, I value that. But then I also value living in society. I also value, say, and why is the reason why I value living, living within society and not being just ostracized because people hate their sto- their toes being stepped on? Maybe because I like my job or maybe because I like going on walks. I like having fresh water. I like using the restroom in clean restrooms or having a house or I like my family or I like my friends. I value certain things which force me to make certain decisions to not do other things that I might value otherwise. But that's not explicit. That's implicit. You just feel that. You don't actually do a precise cost-benefit analysis of, of every single variable in order to determine, okay, it's not worth it for me to step in the door of this guy now, but it will be in five minutes. It's just intuition, every single step of, of the way. Well, then what is intuition? Isn't intuition just a repeated kind of process of exactly what, what that is, though? It's I You have to think about doing something and create the cost-benefit analysis as to whether it's a good thing or not. And intuition might tell you, no, it's not a good thing, like instantly. But then what is intuition based off of? Empiricists say that it's just a repeated action over and over and over. You you know the outcome of that. So you know that it's not a good thing to do in regard to what else you want to do. And now where it gets a bit tricky is that, say your, your belief system has changed, or say you're in some sort of gray area of philosophy, or you're in some sort of culture that you're not aware of. Say you do, you do things that you don't entirely know that you should do or shouldn't do. You have to relearn these things. You have to relearn, you have to reinforce it into your mind as to whether or not it's a good thing to do or a bad thing to do. So you don't have any intuition on those, in those circumstances. You might have some, a little bit of an intuition, but in order to reinforce this intuition, you need to understand where you are and what your beliefs are and what your values are in regard to the society, society that you are now in. It's like language, essentially. If you want to become really, really good at a new language, you have to think about it and speak in, speak in it all the time. Why is that so? Because you're, you need to reinforce certain sentences, certain phrases over and over and over and over so you can say them really fast without having to think about them. Because my brain is doing the thought. My brain is thinking about what I'm saying right now. And it's thinking about the, in, the tones that I use and everything like that. But the reason why I can say it so quickly is simply because I've said these things so many different times and I've put these connections in my brain so many times over of the things that I'm saying right now. And it's just reinforced over habit, essentially. So the same thing with what kind of what we were saying before. That's an emerging feature of the basic unit of construction of your cognition. The neurons connect between each other and they force they generate an emerging feature that's your reinforcement learning of something that will make proclivity of you thinking of saying hello bigger than saying 
my ass itches, itches. Why? Because you you said hello more than the other thing. So so yeah, I think I think yeah. you're right. Cool. Stay tuned. <laughs>